Good afternoon. Good to see you. Amazing to see so many people, young adults and adults being baptized here today. Let's just give them a warm round of applause. We've got like between 35 and 40 people to baptize today, which is amazing. How many of you are here supporting someone getting baptized today? Give us a big wave. Wow. Wow. Wonderful to have you all here. Now, we know some of you will be Christians. Some of you might not be. Um, just to let you know what they're doing here today, basically everyone here has made a personal decision to follow Jesus. And, and what that looks like is saying, you know what, I want to live for God. And it's following Jesus in the act of baptism, very much showing that you're leaving behind the old life and stepping into a new life. What does that mean? Obviously, they're not going to leave their families and friends and support structures, but they're saying very much that they want to try and live for God, which is a different way of life. It's learning to love people, learning to love as well as... Is there a bad connection? So loving people around us. And so they're not saying that they're perfect. Neither are they saying that they're going to be perfect. And you'll probably be sitting there saying, I, I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. What's going on up in here? So, but what they're really saying is that they want to learn to try and follow God. And so watch out for the difference. See if it begins to make a change. See if their, their hearts are really changed and support and encourage them in it. And, and if there's something that you can take away from their life, do so and, and be encouraged. And perhaps you might too step into a relationship with God yourself as a consequence of their example to you. Well, it's going to be back here preaching. I've just been off on two weeks paternity leave. We have a brand new son, which is fantastic. Amen. And we're, we're very proud to tell you his name is Baby. So um, we'll let you know when we've named him properly. That's still to come. <laughs> fantastic. But him and, my mom, and his mom as well, uh, he was 4.1 kgs born, so he's a big boy. And he's got a big appetite already. Hallelujah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, we're finishing up the series today on ministers in God's government. And the title I've got for today to kind of bring and share some thoughts with us is, Can You Change the World? Can you? Could you as an individual or could we as a church or could your family or could your community at work or the community that you're a part of, can the way that you live change the world. There are many individuals who've changed the world, and I don't know if you've perhaps reflected on some of them in, in the pursuit of how you set your own priorities, but just to highlight a few, maybe a few uh, significant figures historically speaking. William Wilberforce, uh, a major figure with the end to slavery within the Western world, followed by other great men like Martin Luther King and Nelson Mandela who are fighting for equality amongst human beings in terms of dignity and race. Maybe there's other individuals, Nobel Prize winners, scientists, guys like Albert Einstein, Isaac Newton, uh, just to name a couple of uh, scientists who've changed the world with what they've seen and, and understood. Or maybe technologically speaking, all of us know about Steve Jobs or Bill Gates and Alan Turing, one of the great founders of, of the computer sciences. Or you think about religion, men like Paul, Peter, Martin Luther, John Calvin, all standing on the shoulders of Jesus, who really set the tone for what it is to know God and live for God, or others like Francis of Assisi, Mother Teresa, and many others who've given their lives to serve people and reveal the glory of God in that way. We've got examples of people today who are seeking to change the world, groups who are trying to end human trafficking, trying to end slavery, others who fight to 
do research to end cancer or to end world hunger. Many different people trying to reach out and change the world. And in the last few days, we've seen a very interesting change. Many of you will have followed the news um, of how a, a group of men and women have changed the legal and societal view of homosexual marriage. And to all intents and purposes, successful now across the USA, UK, Ireland, much of Europe in changing the world. So if you were to look at all of their examples, it is possible to change the world. Is it possible for you to change the world? And the only way that I could position that that is possible for all of us is if we give our lives to it and we give our lives to the right cause, to make God known. I think that's one of the biggest challenges we face and one of the biggest reasons we come to church is to come to understand who we are in God and, and how we can then live that life. And it involves a massive amount, surrendering pride, dealing with doubts, stepping out of uncertainty and knowing that we're insufficient but we serve a sufficient God and partner with Him. And many of our messages up until this point will have covered and explored those different uh, means by which we become people who live out the identity that God has given us. But I want to set our pursuit of changing the world in the right context to look at the ultimate goal of changing this world, and I think Jesus' view is the ultimate. Matthew 28, verse 18, a passage we all know very well, Jesus came and he said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Powerful words from Jesus. What he's saying to his disciples is get out there and change the world. Take what I've taught you. Take what I've ministered to you over these last three and a half years. And with that truth, with those values, with that way of life, with the kingdom of God in you, change the world. But what does he mean? When he says, go and do, teach them to do what I've commanded you, what is he saying? The pinnacle of what Jesus taught, the summation of everything he taught, in fact, the summation of the entire Old and New Testament, love God and then love your neighbor as you love yourself. So what is he saying to us? By loving God, by loving your neighbor, by loving your enemies, and by revealing the way to the Father, revealing the way to God, you are changing the world. I don't know what you think of coming to church. I don't know what you think it's about. Maybe it's about rules and regulations for you. Maybe you grew up in an orthodox tradition. When you come to church, your view is, okay, we obey the rules, we sit, we stand, we kneel, we pray, we sit, we stand, we kneel, we pray, we sit, we stand, we kneel, we pray, take a bit of bread, okay, we're done. Very formularized approach to God. Maybe you come into Kensington Temple and you're like, where are the statues? We've got all these screens everywhere, but where are the statues? Maybe you approach a Christian and you hear someone say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian, and you think, uh, where are your sandals at? You should be wearing sandals if you're a Christian. Instead of understanding the, the bigger view of what it is to be the church, we're called to be a community that radically love God and then radically love one another. And one of the great opportunities we have in this church is you look around, 119 nationalities. You're sitting next to somebody of a different race who you might never, ever 
get to meet in normal circumstances. But in the body of Christ, you're getting to sit with people from Africa, America, all over Europe, Eastern Europe, Asia, and on the other side of the world where my wife's from, Australasia. But you can meet people. I should say New Zealand because she doesn't like... <clears throat> no, she does. She loves Australians, but you know. Um, you know what I'm saying. <clears throat> and she's watching. So sorry, sweetheart. It's all right. <clears throat> But he's teaching us, calling us as a community to radically love different people with the same love with which we love God. Transformational. But he doesn't just say love people. He says love people with power. Matthew 10, verse 7, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. And in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 20, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. So not only are we called to love, but we're called to love in such radical ways that we reveal heaven on earth. That our love touches the heart of God and the individual who's broken in front of us such that life flows into them, such that they experience something completely out of this world, but changes the world in which they live. We're called to change the world. Let me ask you some specific questions. Are you even in this race? Are you even living in the place where you want to change the world? The reality is that every one of us has been wound up. Okay, go. And the direction in which we're going might be family first, career first, education first, society first, money first. We might be thinking of all of these things as our ultimate priority, as the pinnacle of where we are called to be in life. But is that where God calls us to go? If you were to gain the whole world, earn all the money that there is, would you have satisfied your soul? Bill Gates gets there and realizes actually he's not. So he starts giving away his money and tells his kids that they have to make their own way in life. Because he realized that money isn't the point of the life which we are living here today. But let me just challenge you a little bit deeper. Not just saying that those goals are not the real end means, but actually to challenge you and say perhaps they're idols if they are your goals. Perhaps there's something that's detracting from your main purpose if you're treating them as your main priority. It's not to say that they're wrong and we should completely do away with them, but it's rather to say that we should get our Hearts in the right place. God first. What do you mean by God first? What do you mean by living for God? Do I have to give up everything and go become one of you priests or pastors or nuns or whatever it is that you do in order to live for God? No. What it means is putting God first in our hearts, in our families, in the way we spend our time, in the way we interact with people, in the way we work in the way that we come to church, that we put God at the pinnacle. And Matthew 6, 34, 33, 34 tells very clear, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else finds its place. Everything else falls into the right category. Well, you know, for me, family is most important. You know what? If you were to put God first, then your family will come to life in a way that you could never have imagined it would outside of the will of God. So first, maybe it's a first challenge. Dealing with the priorities and setting God first. 
But then the second question, is the world really worth changing? I mean, this is the problem that Christians have wrestled with for the last hundred or so years. Is the world really worth changing? When Jesus told us about the signs of the end, and there is going to be an end of days, and there is going to be a time when the whole world is wrapped up and God judges, it's important that we know that, and it's important that we know that that day is coming. But the general approach that Christians have taken is, well, that day's coming, let me just not do anything, because it's coming pretty soon, I'll just hold out and wait for it to arrive. And instead of actively participating in the world around to reveal the glory of God, we're sort of waiting for something to happen someday when God reveals his glory on that day. Except Jesus told us to do something very important. He said all of these signs will happen, all of the earthquakes, all of the tsunamis, all of the hurricanes, all of the uh, wars and rumors of wars that are going on right now. God knew that they would happen. But they are signs leading up to the end time, but they precede that end time. What happens at the end? The gospel will be preached to every nation. Jesus didn't say, okay, look out for these signs and, you know, batten down the hatches, get in your bunkers, Christians, and wait for the end. He said, no, get out there and preach the gospel to every nation so that Jesus can return again. In that context... We look at a world that's a mess. There's subtle changes in perception everywhere. There's a change in the perception of God. From 100 years ago, God was foundational. No one even questioned that God existed, and more than existed, was to be considered the moral authority, not just over this nation, but over the entire world. 100 years later, God's optional. We've moved from a relational view of God to an institutional view of God. There's been changes in the way that we see truth. Truth has gone from being absolute to being relative. Your truth is just as valuable as my truth. There's no such thing as one truth as the way that we're always taught. And yet one plus one will always equal two. And there will always be discernible truth, ultimate truth, as revealed in God's word. There's been changes in mankind especially in Western cultures, from a corporate responsibility, family, culture, village, town, and so on, where you are responsible to a wider group of people, now to a level of individual gratuity. You can do what you want when you want. It's all about you. And changes in the law from being a defender of morals to being an advocate of behaviors. Many subtle changes happening all over the place. And the one that humans have always wrestled with, the understanding and believing that freedom is really being able to sin as you like and justify it as your identity. And missing out on the, the f- true freedom that's found in knowing that we can be free to choose righteousness because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll say that another way. You know when you've done something where you've really messed up? You know where you've really done something wrong? Do you want somebody who will just come up to you and say, it's okay? And then you sit there with your guilt, and you've heard them say, it's okay, but inside you're still feeling guilty, and you're wrestling with that guilt. Or would you rather not have made that bad decision in the first place? 
Or if you had made that bad decision, would you rather have somebody say, it's okay, and still feel the guilt, or have somebody, God, come along and say, I forgive you, and experience that guilt be taken away? See, the most disempowering position to actually be in is to be told that it's okay to sin and that you're practicing your freedom in doing so. Because when you feel guilt, you have nowhere to go. When you feel shame, who do you get absolution from? But when you come to understand that freedom is the genuine choice, when you see the opportunity to do something wrong, you can choose righteousness. Because all of us know what it's like. Should I do this bad thing or should I not? Should I, I really don't want to, but I'm going to because I really know it's bad, but it's so good at the same time. Let's do it. All of us know that wrestle. It's the wrestle that Paul talks about in Romans 7. But the reality of the gospel is you can look at that situation and say, I choose righteousness. I'm walking righteousness. That's what true freedom is. That's what true liberty is, and that's available to us in the gospel. So we might look at this world that's a mess where everything's being turned upside down and on its head and say, ah, let's just leave it. Let's just leave it for the last day when everything's going to be wrapped up and we'll just um, be praising Jesus, hallelujah, all the way until it happens. If Jesus thinks it's worth saving, if the Father thinks it's worth saving, maybe we should think it's worth saving. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See, the thing that, change, that motivates change, the thing that motivates change for God, the thing that motivates change for the Christian, or should motivate change for the Christian, is love. God so loved, God so loved, when you think about that freedom that I was just discussing, the freedom to choose righteousness, what was his love doing in that context? His love was purchasing our ability to choose righteousness because Jesus died on the cross for us. His love was to enable us to live in the truth and freedom of God. We've kind of changed the, word, the meaning of the word love. We've kind of changed the meaning of the word love to be, I'm going to do something wrong, and you're, going to just have, you're just going to have to love me. And I'm going to keep choosing to do something I know to be wrong or sinful, harmful to you, and you're just going to have to keep loving me. And I'm going to choose to keep choosing to do something that's going to harm you. And you're just going to have to love me. And while that is an important part of love, love is long-suffering. Love is kind. Love deals with all of this mess that's thrown at it. Love still goes much further than that because love calls us to the highest truth of who we are. Jesus dying on the cross for us is the highest revelation of love. He didn't do it for fun. Oh, I know, today I'm just going to hop up on the cross, have my hands pierced through the wood, I'm going to suffocate for a little while, and then I'm going to die, having just been beaten by Roman legionnaires. 
think that sounds fun? No, he didn't do it for fun. The whole point of what he was doing was to show us that love has a context, truth and justice. Love and truth, and the two held together, how God executes justice for us. So he comes into the world to change the world. And I just want to draw out three simple points for us on how we can be called to change the world. There's so many different ways and avenues that we'll point out in just a few moments. But three core values to why we would change the world. The first is radical love. Radical love. All of us love people. If I was to tell you to think about the person that you love the most, you'd probably have a little smile just come across your face. Maybe it's a little bit of a uh, a love that's gone on for decades, you've been with them for many years, but you still smile when you think about the love that you have for them. For me, very much, my wife Rebecca and my baby. Easy people to love. But there's limits to your love, just like there's limits to my love. And the limits to your love probably look like people that are either of the same belief they like the same music, they like the same food, they like going to the same pub, they like hanging out with the same people, they support the same football team, whatever it might be, your love is limited to that group of people. And anyone on the other side of the line, they support a different team. They are, uh, you know, they were part of a gang on the other side from your gang. They were people that have done something in the past to harm you. Or maybe they're just people that have been close, but they've said or done something to you that you remember. You know, I was having a conversation with someone just yesterday, and they remembered an issue that had happened 10 years ago as though it were today. That's how clear it was in their mind. And that's how clear the reason why it was okay for them not to be in relationship with one another. How many people have you justified in your life as it being okay? You know what? It's better for me that that person's not in my life. It's better for me that, you know, because, you know, the they just don't appreciate me or they, they said something negative about me or they did something bad towards me. How many of us can count straight away hundreds of people that are like that? Some people get so good at this that they stay in one place for a year, up and then leave, next place for a year, up and then leave because it's okay to leave those people behind. That's not radical love. There's nothing radical about that. Choosing to love the people that love you back is just living normal life. Jesus called us to a radical love where when somebody wrongs you, you choose to love them. When somebody sins against you, you choose to love them and at the same time try to call them up to the higher truth of who they are. Now, we can't do that of our own strength. I think of my experience in this. When I first came to church, it was a funny time about 11 years ago in April came and sat here on the front row, and it's because a friend had said to me, you need to go back to church. And the reason he said you need to go back to church is because my life was a mess. At that time, my average weekly alcohol consumption was 80 plus pints, and then, or if you change that out with a couple of bottles of spirits of some sort. Every week, week in, week out. So when I came into church, I had a hangover. And every Sunday that I came back to church, I had a hangover. And most Sundays when I came into church, I'd been in a fight or got into some sort of altercation with someone. And somebody said to me one day, they were like, you know what, you need to go away and meet with God. And I, I said, okay, whatever. I went away to meet with God at the weekend away we do as a church. It's a three-day encounter. 
Men, you need to get on the next one. It's happening 10th to 12th of July, just a couple of weeks, weekends away. We'll change your life. But I was there on this encounter, and a guy just came and prayed for me. I was like, dude, what are you touching me for? This is weird. Um, but what was even weirder than that was next minute I'm lying on my back, looking up at the ceiling, thinking, how the heck did I get here? And at that time, I was in the gym four times a week, 16 stone, pretty, pretty well built. I'm like, who, the, who pushed me over? No one can push me over. Lying on the floor and crystal clear in my head. Voice of God is what I'd say it is. Why are you still being an idiot? Crystal clear. And that just, you'd not believe it. I, I still negotiated. I was there on the floor. I said, okay, God, I'll quit drinking after next weekend because next weekend's my birthday. So uh, <laughs> you just hold off. So next weekend, got drunk, got in a fight, came in the church a Sunday with a black eye, and I was like, okay, God, now I quit. <laughs> but that didn't change much. You know, at, at that point, all you had to do was bump shoulders with me, and I was ready to have a fight. We'd be like, let's go downstairs, or I'll just hit you in the middle of the bar. It doesn't matter. Um, but we, I started to think, you know, what's going on in here? And I recognized this hatred in my heart. It's not just like, a no, I'm not just a normal dude out having a pint. I'm hating people, and I'm probably hating myself. I just started thinking to myself, you know, this is not cool. You know, and I was sitting here in church, and I'm, you know, trying to be a holy guy, hands raised, and angry at people. And I began to read the word of God, and God's word began to teach me about his love. It says that we learn to love because he first loved us. And I found that my God, who I'd walked away from, I, I felt betrayed. My mother got cancer, and I said, God, if my mom has cancer, then I don't want to serve you. Five years later, I'm saying, God, if you're real, I want to know you. And his love transformed my heart. So much so now that you could probably come up and hit me. Don't try it. And I'll, <laughs> I'll try to give you the other cheek. But you know, something happened in me. And now I'll go out and have a social pint. And I'll never feel that craving to go and get drunk. I'll never feel that craving to go and have a fight. You know what's so funny, actually? The, the last fight that I had, major fight that I had, I was at a wedding of someone that was involved in that fight last year. And his brothers came up to me and they're like, mate, what happened to you? We heard you became some sort of pastor. <laughs> and uh, they were shocked. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what they did was they set out the whole night punching me, poking me, provoking me, making racial slurs about the fact that I'm Chinese, all to try to get me to hit them back. And it didn't work. I was like, man, this is cool. Before, I'd have to practice self-control, but... I just didn't have any issue with that. I was like, guys, this is awesome. Because God had changed something in my life, changed something in my heart. And now I'm trying to love people. See, this is what the gospel is about. Us experiencing God's grace, his love, his goodness, and then turning around and trying to love people. And this is where it gets real because loving people is real difficult. Really difficult especially when they don't take consideration of your schedule, in my case, your priorities, your uh, needs. You know, you know those people that you arrange to meet at 2 o'clock and they think you mean 3 o'clock, and so they leave you sitting there for an hour? Or those people that tell you that they're going to call you or send you something and they don't do it? Or those people that actually have the nerve to then turn it on you and say, it's your fault? Those people. 
or the people that come up to you and they, they just do something or say something that's completely inappropriate, unacceptable about you. But you see, Jesus said something. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? It's a powerful question there that Jesus asks, but he's not saying go away and be some sort of ascetic monk. Go away and practice the disciplines, fast and pray and all of that. He's saying deny yourself by learning how to love people. The cross of Jesus was the ultimate expression of his love. And he's saying to you, if you really want to follow him, you've got to learn how to love people. You've got to learn how to love the unlovable. And that is the trial that it will take every day of your life to work out. But radical love will bring transformation. See, sometimes we have to practice gut-wrenching forgiveness to demonstrate our radical love. Maybe you've been watching the news recently. Maybe you follow uh, Facebook streams and you see all of the YouTube clips come up. There's three stories that I want to bring out. One is the story of Miriam, a young girl from Karakosh in Iraq who'd been uh, displaced, her and her family. Ten-year-old, found and interviewed by a Christian channel. And this little girl, you know girls, uh, kids, when they're upset, broken, etc., they become silent, withdraw, separate themselves, head down, don't engage. This little girl who'd been kicked out of her home is sitting there on TV, bright as day. And this guy's saying to her, what would you do if you saw someone from ISIS? And she said, I would not hate them. I would love them. And I would forgive them. I would ask them why they had to chase us out of our home. But then I would tell them about the love of Jesus. A 10-year-old. Maybe you watch the news about the uh, brother who lost two brothers in the Egyptian 21 beheading. Two of his brothers beheaded. He came on radio, and they said, what would you do if you saw someone from ISIS walking down the street? He said, I would forgive them. Actually, to tell you the truth, me and my community have been praising God since this happened, because we got to exercise what Jesus told us to in terms of forgiving our enemies. And they said, what about your mom? What would your mom say? Your mom who's lost two sons. He said, oh, I've been talking with her about this. She said, if I saw them walking down the street, I would invite them into my home and I would thank them for enabling me to know God. And I would tell them that Jesus loved them. That's gut-wrenching forgiveness. But I think the one that really hit me this week. I don't know if you saw it. Did you hear about the Charleston shootings, nine people shot in the Bible study? Um, during the initial hearings in court, the family went on the record on TV with a video camera trained on this young man. And they began to forgive him. One of the daughters said, I will never be able to hold her again. But... I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. You have hurt me. You hurt a lot of people, but God forgives you and I forgive you. One of the mothers of a victim said, every fiber in my body hurts and I will never be the same. 
But as we said in the Bible study, we enjoyed you, and may God have mercy on you. Wow. That's gut-wrenching forgiveness. So you know you're practicing radical love when you're able to walk in that kind of forgiveness. And some of us, let's be honest, are just mad at people because they mess with our schedule. But what about changing the world with a little bit of love and forgiveness? What about picking up the phone to your dad who you wished you'd sent a card to on Father's Day but didn't? The mother you haven't spoken to for years. The sister that you've cut out of the will. What about picking up the phone and connecting and saying, you know what? I can't live without you in my life. See, these kinds of things, the challenge to love, the challenge to forgive, they're part of painful truth. See, truth is painful, but it's healing. If I were to say to you, it's okay, you know, that person, they deserve to be shunned. They don't deserve to be in your life. You you should treat them like rubbish. It's not truth. I mean, it might be what you want to hear, but it's not truth. But the painful truth is you need to forgive. And what you find is that painful truth heals. That painful truth brings transformation. That painful truth enables peacemaking, not peacekeeping. You know, you got some people that are all about keeping the peace. And what that means is they will never tell you what you really need to hear. But the only way you make peace, you make for understanding, is if you lift the lid and you share the truth. You share who you really are. If you want to change the world, we've got to live with radical love, gut-wrenching forgiveness, and painful but healing truth. And that all said, my final thoughts for you. It's more than just values that we're living for. You as Christians, I'm sure, looking at you, you all look so radiant. <laughs> you all look so much like you got it made. But we're not supposed to just live values. We're supposed to live values in the context of a noble cause. And what is our noble cause? The ultimate cause that might be expressed in a few individual ways, which we'll highlight in just a second, is the Great Commission. That every woman and child and man would know the great joy and privilege of knowing the Creator, our Father. Jesus said that it's eternal life to know the Father. Do you know the Father? Do you know how to make Him known? The way to make the Father known is to love people radically, to show them the kind of love that you received. It's to say, you know what? You're a mess, but I love you, just like God loved me. And you might do that in a specific arena. You might set as your, your noble cause, I'm going to be someone that lives to see whole families. I'm going to be someone that lives to see males become men. I'm going to be somebody who lives to see restoration of broken women, prostitutes, drug addicts. I'm going to be somebody that makes sure that kids have a home where they're loved and looked after. I'm going to be somebody that gives my gifts, my talents, my training to research in terms of ending cancer or to humanitarian aid, whatever it might be. But it's all within the context of I want to know, make God known. I want people to know God. I want people to experience God. I want to challenge you. 
you can change the world. It requires a little reprioritization, and it requires a lot of pain as you learn to love people that are difficult. But if you set your heart to it, to worship God through the way that you live your life, you can bring change. Change will not just impact your own family. It'll impact your community. It'll impact your city. It'll impact your nation. See, if we win families, families will disciple families. If we win communities, communities will disciple communities. If we win cities, cities will disciple cities, nations, nations, continents, continents. But it starts with you setting out to change the world. Let's pray. Let's lift our hands because I know many of you will have different reflections. Just lift our hands. Father, I want to lift up everyone in this place to you today. And Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus that your grace would begin to fall upon them. And you'd bring such a clarity to their lives. Every one of us carries baggage, carries mess, carries uh, history, and carries hopes and dreams and aspirations. But Lord, I pray that you'd make it all real simple for us, that we'd understand that there's a day that we're living for. There's a day when you will return and that you're calling us to between now and then reveal your glory. Between now and then to show the God of goodness, the God of love, the God of grace. Between now and then to love people into the kingdom of God. To between now and then to reveal the truth of who God is. Lord, I pray for everyone that as we align to that core purpose, that you'd start to awaken ministries in this place today. Awaken the ministries that you have appointed in this house. Men and women and children to change the world. To change the world. And you'd set within them a passionate fire. They might be sitting at the bottom of a pile, divorced, kids estranged from them, no money, no home, thinking, God, can you use me? Yeah, God, we know that you can take somebody from the ashes. And Lord, I pray that whether it's physically, practically speaking, the reality or metaphorically speaking the reality, that you'd lift us from the ashes of our lives and start to breathe life into what we're doing. And that we would each, one by one, church by church, community by community, begin to change the world. Change the world in the context of love and truth. That we would receive your glory revealed. We bless you, Father. We thank you, and we ask you to empower us for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big praise. Great stuff. Now we've got about 35 world changers about to step up to the plate. They're going to come, and they're going to be baptized. So what I want to let you know about is that you are most welcome to come out and support We've got a whole area here at the front, cameras. We want you to start warming up your voices right now because you're going to be doing a lot of cheering in just a moment. But this is now a very special time for these people. So can I just have your attention for a moment? I know there's lots of people moving around at the moment. Can I have your attention? This is still a very sacred moment for every one of these people being baptized. So we'd ask you to respect that today. 
If you want to have a conversation, there's plenty of room outside. It's a sunny day. If you're in here, we want you supporting and encouraging and getting behind everyone that's getting baptized today. Is that okay? So what I want to do is, if everyone's getting baptized, can stand up. Just one more time, if you'd all stretch your hands forward towards them. Everyone being baptized, stand up. Everyone else, stretch your hands forward. Father, we want to thank you for every one of these men and women, boys and girls, getting baptized here today. We thank you that it's a radical step that they're taking. They're following Jesus. And Lord, we ask that you would be upon them, that your spirit would rest upon them, that they would know what it is to walk with you, to know you, to experience you, and that they would see transformation happen in their lives and the lives of those around them, and that they would be able to change the world themselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Fantastic.